Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. We appreciate the beautiful songs that we've been privileged to sing together today. We're thankful for the opportunity that we now have to study together. It is our prayer that we might be strengthened in the faith as we study and think about things which are spiritual and eternal in nature. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 beginning, and we're going to be considering the theme, learning to lean on the Lord. And so with that in mind, I want to begin by asking this question. How much do you trust the Lord? Do you trust him each and every day? There are many people in our world today, and yes, many in the church, that make the claim they trust the Lord. And yet it may very well be the case that they do not fully and completely trust in Him. In Proverbs chapter 3, the first thing that I would call your attention to is the challenge or threat that is before us. When we think about a threat, we're talking primarily here about deceptive practices. You know, there are a lot of times in life that we may live under the assumption that we are indeed fully trusting the Lord when in fact we may be trusting in some other system, in some other philosophy. In verse 5, Solomon said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now listen to him. And lean not on your own understanding. It may very well be the case that we as members of the human family are trying to prop ourselves up on something other than the Lord. Jeremiah said in the long ago, it is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. In Jeremiah 10 at verse 23. What about this challenge to trusting in the Lord? You see, we are to trust in the Lord. That's true. But there is this inherent challenge or threat before us. What are some things that we could potentially put our trust in other than the Lord? The first deceptive practice that comes to mind has to do with the various philosophies that are in vogue today. In Acts chapter 17, we read of the Apostle Paul in the city of Athens, and the Bible says that his spirit was stirred within him because the whole city was given over to idolatry. And in that great center of intellectual thought, we read of the Apostle Paul reasoning with the Epicureans and Stoics. Those who followed the Stoic philosophy they had the idea that everything was governed by fate. They denied immortality. There are many people in the world today, while they may not be adherents to this 
Stoic philosophy, they believe that everything is governed by fate. And yes, they would deny the immortality of the soul. And then there were those who were followers of Epicurus. The Epicureans believed in the long ago that pleasure was the chief aim of life. Now, if you do not believe that this is a major philosophy or way of thought in our world today, you're sadly mistaken. Paul even spoke of those in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He spoke of those who were lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There are individuals in our world today that have embraced a number of philosophies. And these philosophies will sometimes begin to surface. I think about those that have embraced a hedonistic lifestyle. Anything goes. Now, somebody might say, well, I would never fall prey to a philosophy like that. There are many people in our world today that have subjected themselves to any number of philosophies, whether they believe that everything's governed by fate, whether they believe that pleasure is the chief aim of life, and so all they're worried about in life is just gratification, fun, maximizing the pleasures of life to the minimization of pain. There's a second potential threat Solomon said, lean not on your own understanding. In verse 7, he said, do not be wise in your own eyes. Pride. Did you know that one of the challenges before us is pride? There are some people that want to trust in the Lord, but the various philosophies of life crowd out their trust in the Lord. And then there are those that are filled with pride or arrogance. The Apostle Paul speaks of those who profess to be wise. He said, but in reality, they're foolish. In Romans chapter 1, verse 22, Solomon said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. How many people in our world today subscribe to the idea, I don't need God. I do not need the Word of God governing my life. There are a lot of people today that have egos that have been vastly inflated. And because they have been to some prestigious university, because they have garnered some higher academic degrees and because they have a good standing in the academic community, they have the idea that they are above God, that they do not need God. The other day I read an interesting article about a man by the name of Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew at one time was one of the leading proponents of atheistic thought.
he had a debate with a man by the name of Thomas B. Warren in the 1970s. And Mr. Flew believed very strongly in atheism. He denied the creation story. And so basically, he was going to try to uphold the proposition that God does not exist. That was some 30 years ago. Not long ago, Mr. Flew came out and said that he now believes in intelligent design. He now believes that there is a God in the universe. Now, he does not believe in the God that you and I believe in, but rather he believes in a God that would basically create the world and then step back and let the universe run on its own. He is a deist. But there are a lot of people in our world today that because of their education and because of where they've been and what they've done, they have the idea that they do not need God. They become very arrogant and proud. Some are just too proud to admit they need the Lord in their life. But there is a third deceptive practice, power. I think about our country today. Many people are operating under the illusion that because of our military might, our military strength, that we will be here forever. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17 at verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength. Now look at our country. It is true that we boast great military strength, but does that military strength mean that as a nation we will stand forever? There are a lot of people in our world today, a lot of people in Washington, that have the idea that America will last indefinitely or forever. And yet history tells us that there are many people that place their trust in military might, in strength, only to see that nation or kingdom fall. There's an interesting statement made by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28. And I would invite you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28 because here I think we come face to face with one of the inherent challenges to our nation today. Now, you remember Moses set forth what we might call blessings and cursings before he died to the children of Israel. In short, if they would obey God, they would be blessed. If they chose to live in disobedience, then God would curse them. And so listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, because I think it would be applicable to any nation or any people that would choose to move away from God Here's what the Lord said, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in need of all things. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. 
The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they will eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land until you are destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks until they have destroyed you. Now Amos said in the long ago, I am not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I would certainly make that claim. I do not have the ability to look into the future, but I know one thing. Our country is on a collision course with God. If we as a nation of people do not somehow rethink our moral values, we're headed for grave trouble. And the idea that America is going to stand forever is false. If you don't believe me, just go back and look at other nations and other kingdoms that thought they were really something. Babylon was a great and mighty nation, and yet Babylon fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. Assyria, another great nation, and Assyria fell to Babylon. And so I believe that it's time for our nation to awaken. Paul said, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. But then also there's another deceptive, another deceptive practice. It has to do with putting your trust in politicians. Now, I'm not against politicians. Sometimes I wonder if politicians are interested more in being served than in serving. It's not to say that there are not some good people in politics because I'm sure there are. But you see, there are a lot of people in our country today, they're putting their trust, they're putting their faith, they're putting their future in politics and in politicians. The psalmist said, put not your trust in princesses, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. Psalm 143.3. I do not believe that the answer to the moral ills of our country rests in the Republican and Democratic parties. The only answer to the moral ills of our nation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. To those that believe that Washington is the hub of everything and that our nation will stand or fall based on one of our political parties, those who would subscribe to that idea are sadly mistaken. Daniel said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 32, the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. So don't put your trust in politicians. And then finally, don't put your trust in your pocketbook. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today that have the idea that because they have a lot of money and because they control a lot of things materially and physically speaking, that they don't need the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 reads, He that trusts in his riches shall fall, 
Read sometime the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 12 when he talked about the rich man whose ground brought forth plentifully. His idea was eat, drink, and be merry, but God said tonight you're going to die. And the bottom line was he was putting his trust in materialism and in money and not in the living God. It's interesting to me that Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, charge them that are rich in this present world that they trust not in uncertain riches but in the living God. Don't put your trust in riches. Don't put your trust in land, in CDs, in stocks and bonds. Those things will perish. So, the challenge. But what about, secondly, the commitment? We talk about learning to lean on the Lord. We've talked about the challenge. There are a lot of challenges out there, but what about the commitment to trust in the Lord? Look again at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not some of your heart, but all your heart. The word trust means to have confidence, to be bold, secure. It carries with it the idea to lie helpless, face down. One writer says the word pictures a servant waiting for the master's command in readiness to obey or a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general. Do you trust in the Lord? Have you completely and fully yielded yourself to the will of God? Think again about the idea of lying helpless, face down, before the Lord. That's what it means, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, instead of propping yourself up on the various philosophies of life, Solomon is saying we need to learn to prop ourselves up on the Lord. In other words, if you need someone to lean on, then lean on the Lord. Don't try to lean on yourself. Don't try to lean on your own wisdom, on your own might, but rather learn to lean on the Lord. Now with this in mind, let's talk about this idea of commitment or trust. Several things that I think we need to, to consider. First of all, the depth of our trust. Look again at verse 5. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means everything. That means every, everything I have, I'm trusting the Lord. Sometimes it's easier to trust in the Lord when we are facing burdens and difficulties in life. Prosperity sometimes gives us a false sense of security. And yet those who are despondent in despair, those that have faced very distressing times in life, they sometimes understand the, the importance and the need to trust in the Lord. Individuals that have faced great adversity, sometimes they step away and they will come to the conclusion, the only thing I can do is trust in the Lord. And so they fully trust Him. 
Solomon said, trusting with all your heart. That's the depth of our trust. But then as a result of our trust, we gain direction. Direction that comes to us by way of the truth of God. Look at what Solomon said in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, presents two very well-marked roads that men and women can choose in this life. The first road is that road that leads to destruction. It is the broad road. It is the wide gate. The other, though, is that narrow gate, that straight road that leads to life. Now, when you put your trust in the Lord, when you're willing to be guided by the truth of Jehovah God, then you're going to be on the right road. You're going to have direction in life. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today, and the main problem they have is they lack purpose and direction. They're wandering about. They're groping in spiritual darkness. They lack the aim and the purpose and the direction that comes from the Word of God. The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. When you follow God's word, you're not going to be disappointed. The word of God and the Lord will see you through those difficult times. And so I believe that trusting in the Lord gives direction to our lives, direction that is needed and necessary for us to have true happiness, contentment, and satisfaction in life. There's a third thing that comes as a, as a result of our commitment or our trust to the Lord. It's devotion. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, Solomon said, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. In other words, reverence Him. You see, when we trust in the Lord, we understand that we are serving a being that is omnipotent, that is all-powerful. He is omniscient, that is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is ever-present. We are serving the creator of the heaven and the earth. And so, we devote ourselves to his service. Solomon said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have reverence for God and for his ways. We seek to walk in accordance with his will. And then finally, there is the idea of departure. In verse 7, Solomon said, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You see, when you trust in the Lord, when you fully trust in him, you're going to depart from evil. Because you see, God and sin cannot coexist. In other words, we cannot allow evil and sin to run rampant in our lives. And so we're seeking to the best of our ability to put to death sin, to live above sin. As James said, flee the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to do our very best to leave ungodly things alone. To be like Job, 
of whom it was said, feared the Lord and eschewed not evil. Thirdly, our confidence. What can you expect to gain if you trust the Lord? Let me just very quickly sum up the testimony that is given unto us by Solomon. And I really believe that when you think about what we gain from trusting in the Lord, it brings a sense of delight to our hearts. Look at verse 8. Solomon said, Those who trust in the Lord with all their heart, who do not lean on their own understanding, who acknowledge Him, who are not wise in their own eyes, who fear the Lord, who depart from evil, he said it will be health to your flesh or to your navel and strength to your bones. Let me just close by saying, when you learn to trust in the Lord, it will do two things to you or for you. Number one, it will sustain you. Number two, it will strengthen you. Think for just a moment about a child in the womb. That child in the womb is sustained by that umbilical cord. I remember when Braden was born. It's hard for me to believe that it's been almost 18 years now. But I was present. I had the privilege of being there when he was born. And I guess the, one of the things that just really struck me, I'd never really thought about it, was when he was born, I got to see the umbilical cord. And I guess the thing that really amazed me was how big that umbilical cord was. I thought that it would be something very small, like a cord or a wire. That thing was huge. And if you think about what Solomon is saying here, you can understand what he's trying to say. Just as that umbilical cord is the source of life and strength to that child in the womb, when you learn to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, therein lies your, your strength. Therein lies the very one who can sustain you just like that baby in the womb is sustained by that umbilical cord, we are sustained and strengthened when we learn to trust in the Lord. Now let me close by asking this question. Are you leaning on the Lord? Are you trusting in Him? Are you living for Him? What would you need to do to become a child of God if you're not a Christian today? Well, the Bible says you have to believe in Jesus Christ, that He's the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die, in your, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. Jesus also said, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And that's found in Luke 13, 3. We must be willing to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Acts 2, 38. If you're here today, you've not obeyed the gospel, why not do that today? If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, could we encourage you to be restored? Could we pray with you and for you, knowing that God will abundantly pardon, as he has said in his word? Would you come as we stand and sing?